There's no such thing as guilty pleasures, only pleasures. And I think Van Helsing Prep is a real pleasure. You've seen it? Yes, in your character, it's reminiscent of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Thank you. And welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist, (laughs) Ken Holtzhauser. And today we're going to go through some of the back alleys of pop culture and find pleasure in some of the strangest of places. So please, join us on this journey. Let's go! Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist, Ken Holtzhauser. Superhero movies are a big deal now, and they've been a big deal for eh, about 10 to 15 years, probably since the uh, the renaissance of the Marvel Comics films and the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. Sort of a one-two punch of something for the critics and something for the fans. Uh, around that time came another superhero movie, who, which is uh, not exactly universally loved. In fact, I think it's got a 28% rating from Rotten Tomatoes, so I may very well be in the minority on this, but I don't have any real problem with Green Lantern. face an unprecedented danger, an enemy powerful enough to destroy entire civilizations. To fight this enemy, the ring chose a human. But I don't need to tell you your duty. Those who worship evil's might, beware my power. Honey, 
Now, didn't that sound like a space epic? Didn't that sound like this great uh, Spielberg, Lucas, slash giant epic in the making? I thought it did anyway. And I'll discuss why it missed the mark, in my opinion. But, some backstory. I've always loved the character of the Green Lantern. I was... Uh, I was a voracious comic book reader. I read a lot of Marvel. I read a lot of Archie. I read a lot of um, Disney, whatever I could get my hands on, Harvey Comics. But uh, the heroes of DC Comics were special to me. And I don't know what it is, but I think my personality, my personal personality, that is, um, is drawn to the, um, the very heroic, impossibly noble characters of DC. Now, uh, it's the early 70s when I'm reading, and I what I didn't know, of course, because I wasn't uh, alive for it, is that a revolution had happened 10 years earlier with Marvel Comics, where Stan Lee did the unthinkable and gave comic book characters individual personalities. DC, as it had been around since the 40s, uh, even earlier than that, frankly, uh, their characters were all tried-and-true, noble comic book characters who all had kind of interchangeable goody-two-shoes personalities. The major difference between the DC characters were their hair color and who they were dating at the time. So uh, it was in the early 70s when I'm reading comics as a, as a youth for the first time that DC has started to inject some personality into these things. And Green Lantern was a book that I read. Although at that time, he was sharing the book with a feistier character named the Green Arrow, who was a relentlessly liberal crusader who kept poking at Green Lantern for being an establishment uh, law and order type character. Uh, It was a strange way to do the book. I mean, the Green Lantern is the star of the comic, but he's not the standout character because the, the Green Arrow is so vivid and angry, and uh, you're just drawn to him. Uh, in comics, I've always tended to be drawn to angry characters anyway. See also The Thing in the Fantastic Four. But um, nonetheless, Green Lantern really shone, pardon me, <laughs> on me because he had such a dense mythology. Green Lantern was test pilot Hal Jordan, who uh, assumed the responsibility of being a space cop from a dying alien. And you had space adventures, and you had Earth adventures, and you had supervillains, and you had uh, alternate alien Green Lanterns that all had the same powers, but could be, say, a diamond, or a fish person, or a squirrel, or whatever. Uh, my wife always joked that a melty ice cream cone in some distant galaxy is probably a Green Lantern somewhere. Um, but I loved the book. I, I followed through the 60s, and, or excuse me, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and beyond. And uh, as time went on, the character of Hal Jordan, uh, I guess, was a little too stuck to the Silver Age. And they started to introduce new human Green Lanterns whether it was the uh, the f- combative and gravelly Guy Gardner, and again, we're back to angry characters, or the, um, the dignified and clever Jon Stewart, who started off uh, fairly militant, kept a little bit of that edge as he went through, but ended up becoming a much um, 
a much more calm and measured an intelligent version of Green Lantern. He was really interesting. And then there was the uh, sort of wet behind the ears, new young Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. For a long time, if you watched cartoons growing up like I did, Green Lantern was Hal Jordan. He appeared in the Super Friends and a variety of other spin-off type cartoons. But in the 2000s, if you were watching television, Green Lantern was Jon Stewart. A, um, a proud ex-Marine, powerful, um, a little uh, a little blockheaded, but uh, certainly well-meaning Green Lantern, uh, beautifully played by Phil Lamar. And now, after you know, decade or so of being in cartoons for kids growing up, the decision is finally made for Green Lantern to get his own feature film. I mean, if you looked at the the pantheon of DC superheroes. It, you had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. The Flash and the Green Lantern would come immediately after that. So, at long last, it was felt that technology had caught up with the Green Lantern and it was time to make a film. After an extensive search to find their correct Hal Jordan, uh, they settle on Ryan Reynolds, who is and continues to be a very likable actor who also happens to be a little bit of a comic book nerd. So, uh, you would think that he's built up his bona fides with the audience. Everything's going well. You had the director of uh, GoldenEye signed up to do this movie. Everything was in a place to do it well. And somehow, in 2011, we got the Green Lantern film. And I, I went. I kind of ran to the theater to see this. I wanted to see this major space epic brought to the big screen. I wanted to see the Green Lantern of my youth portrayed on film. And for the most part, I was not disappointed by it. There was, there are some very, very solid structural flaws with the film, and I'll get to that soon. But the sheer joy of seeing the Green Lantern flying around and zapping things with his ring on the big screen um, it kind of made me a kid. I was very excited to see it. It was, uh, it was charming and it was thrilling and I was excited by the film and I still get a lot of entertainment out of it. I get a lot of entertainment out of Ryan Reynolds performance as Hal Jordan. He's a little bit Van Wilder, I will admit, but he's, uh, he's got that brash cocky thing going for him that you kind of associate with the Hal Jordan character. He was created in the um, the space age, the Cold War age of test pilot slash astronaut being the coolest person in any room. So uh, as time went on, Hal just became more and more uh, more and more of a cocky character. Uh, imagine Maverick from Top Gun. Uh, being able to uh, fly around in space, and that gives you the level of cockiness we're talking about here. The film itself, uh, I think, has one serious fundamental flaw, and that is not embracing the source material enough. There are smaller structural problems I can get into, but they all come back to this. Uh, there are some who would say that the biggest problem the movie has is not having Jon Stewart be the Green Lantern and going back to Hal Jordan. And I agree with that. I think that 
especially given how many people, how many young people in particular grew up seeing the Jon Stewart character as Green Lantern in cartoons for a decade. There was a lot of kids that grew up with that being Green Lantern. There should have been at least some service given to that. But the fundamental thing is this movie came out in 2011 and it came out around the same time as Marvel's movie Thor. And I think that both of those movies show um, the same kind of a problem. It's just one of them works it better than the other. And the problem is, well, the problem is something that modern, uh, as of today, comic book movies really kind of lean into, which in the early days, there was still a fear of alienating your audience. But there's a goofiness to the source material. I think everybody needs to just accept that there is an inherent goofiness to comic book superheroes. There just is. Um, I have explained to people many times through the years that comic books, television, movies, uh, novels, these are all different media, and they each have different rules. There are things that you can do in a comic book um, that don't translate to film, it doesn't work the same way. For example, uh, a character having an internal monologue, a thought balloon monologue, explaining everything that's going on, it's accepted in comic books, works beautifully, looks so weird on film. So you just don't do it. Television has replaced the inner monologue with the idea of superheroes having a team of experts behind computers uh, talking to the hero while he is doing uh, whatever he is doing as a way of getting that expository dialogue out to the audience. And uh, that works really well for television. I don't know that it would work very well for film, but, uh, you know, there you go. In this case, Thor and Green Lantern both have um, slightly goofy <laughs> aspects to their core um, concept. Now, with Thor, they kind of lean into them. They accept how goofy some of this is. Everybody has, everybody in Asgard has crazy hats, and they really go into that big, like, mock Shakespearean uh, patois, and it works. And it works largely because you have a very likable cast doing it, but it also works in that they sell the inherent silliness of the world that they're in. Now we go to Green Lantern. Green Lantern as a film, well, Green Lantern as a concept, especially when you're talking about alien Green Lanterns, is inherently goofy. And I feel like they should have leaned into that a little bit more. In fact, the most satisfying part of the movie for me is how leaving Earth and going out into space to meet other Green Lanterns, especially um, very strong performance by Mark Strong. Oh, God, I can't believe I just said that. As Sinestro. He is, he is doing that, um, that mock Shakespearean um, carrying the movie performance. And other people, uh, Jeffrey Rush plays uh, Green Lantern Tomar Ray, and he's, he's got that dignity going for him as well. And I feel like if the movie had spent more time with the idea of Hal Jordan as being exceptional on Earth and a flat rookie in space, in over his head and overcoming adversity, 
I think you might have had something. In fact, uh, there's an animated Green Lantern movie that's a bit like the film Training Day, where Sinestro is the established veteran Green Lantern who takes the rookie under his wing, and then the rookie finds out that Sinestro is um, rotten to the core (laughs) in more ways than one. And um, that certainly would have been a better way to go. But instead, the movie, I think, is almost terrified of the goofier aspects, and they want to get back to Earth, and they want to get back to... um, grounding Ryan Reynolds in some, you know, leather jacket and wife beater t-shirt, having meaningful conversations with Blake Lively instead of getting out into space and fighting bad guys, which is what, you know, the movie should have been. We, we focus completely on lesser known and frankly, not terribly interesting villain Hector Hammond, uh, played in kind of a disgusting grotesque human testicle kind of a way and you have um a giant space like planet devouring space entity called parallax that all of the green lanterns are concerned about and again that seems like an awfully big idea to throw into the first movie that feels like something you would hold on to or it would be a growing building menace and it wouldn't be something you would just throw out right at the beginning the more personal um, Green Lantern versus Sinestro idea is a better one to start a movie with. I think it would also give um, it would give Ryan Reynolds somebody to play off of that would help sell the concept of the Green Lanterns. But unfortunately, the other Green Lanterns are they're kind of shoehorned into the story. They're not prominent in a way that they could be to really sell this concept. So you end up with, um, you know, drama about whether or not Ferris aircraft is going to go under or not. And it's, uh, it's not everything it could be. And that's unfortunate. I think for a movie, for a, for a character of a movie that promises the ability to do anything, the movie ends up narrowing that focus a little too much. And that's unfortunate. But I will tell you, because I'm... (laughs) suggesting it, there's still a lot to like about this movie. I think everybody gives it way too hard a time. I know Ryan Reynolds does. The fact that we've had two Deadpool movies in a row where he mocks uh, being in Green Lantern is a little overkill. He's not that bad. Taika Waititi, who just recently wrote and directed Jojo Rabbit, is his his buddy sidekick in the movie, and he's great. Um... Blake Lively took the job so that she could eventually be the supervillainous Star Sapphire. So uh, if there's any one thing you should learn from Green Lantern, it's don't anticipate a sequel. (laughs) Make the best first movie you can, then try to figure out how you're going to top it. Don't save all of your good stuff for a later movie. That's just that's just not smart. And unfortunately, the uh, the atmosphere of Green Lantern or the. uh, the public perception of Green Lantern is so bad, the character is even toxic enough not to have appeared in Justice League, and uh, they're still kind of afraid of him. They're they're afraid to bring him back, and that's that's sad because this movie is not that bad. Everybody, you're judging it against I don't know um, the best of Marvel movies. Maybe you should judge it against some of the lesser Marvel movies. Maybe you should judge it against some of the lesser. DC movies. It's certainly a heck of a lot more fun than some of the Zack Snyder output. 
Yes, I said it. So I'm going to recommend that everybody give a second look to the Green Lantern because it's worth your time. It's freely available. Uh, You'll probably find it in the back of every video store. (laughs) It's probably available for streaming really cheap. You can probably find it in a bin somewhere in Walmart, but give it another try. It's worth your time, and it's not that bad, I promise you. We'll join you next time for another episode of No Guilty Pleasures, Pop Culture Podcast. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and the Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and the Dad, you will find supervillains, dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns. I promise. Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure, and it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.